Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a new podcast where we explore some of the world's best destinations through the stories and experiences of locals and people that have had meaningful adventures there. We may be stuck in quarantine because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but that doesn't mean that we can't explore the world. Join us, and no matter where you go, you'll always feel like a local. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Kata Brothers Travel Club. I'm your co-host, Jared Kata, And I'm your co-host, Brendan Kata. This is another episode of us stuck in quarantine in our apartment, but we took the opportunity to talk to some friends that are extremely far away for this episode. Brendan, have you ever been to Asia in your travels? Mm-hmm. Other than Israel? No, never like, because Israel is like technically a part of I've been on the Asian continent. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually, I hadn't really thought of that. Okay, so I'll, I'll rephrase that question. Have you ever been to like Far East Asia? No, okay. never been. Yeah, me, me neither, but it is definitely a area of the world that I have a lot of interest in exploring. Uh, I would say that right now I'm, uh, and I've made it very clear that I'm pretty obsessed with South America and Central America. I love those adventures, and they're really close to Miami, Uh, whereas places like Vietnam and Indonesia and Japan are pretty difficult to get to right now. But I will get there eventually, and um, there is one destination that I have truly been looking forward to, and that is a place called Singapore. I'm really excited for this one because the most I've ever heard about Singapore was from an episode of The Layover with Anthony Bourdain where he spends, I think, 24 hours there. Okay. And obviously he hits a lot of the amazing food spots and talks about how much food there is. But I'm excited to hear about that and everything else that Singapore has to offer. Before we start talking to the locals, let's hear a little bit about that history to set up what we're going to experience in the interview. It's safe to say that Singapore is getting its moment in the sun and the destination is attracting over 18 million visitors a year. This might be because Singapore is many people's embodiment of a utopia. It's spectacularly modern, immaculately clean, and it's embracing of a lot of cultures. Singapore may be relatively young as an independent nation, but it has always been an important city, going back to the kingdoms and sultanates that controlled the Malay Peninsula long, long ago. Singapore itself is an island, and it was eventually captured by the East India Company and therefore transitioned to the British Empire for a long time. Not long after World War II, Singapore decided to declare its independence. A lot of people were skeptical about the tiny island's decision to be an independent country, but this turned out to be a great move. Modern Singapore is leveraging its strategic location and has become one of the busiest seaports in the world. It now boasts the highest GDP per capita of any country, and there's opportunities in abundance. Because of this, Singapore has retained its incredibly unique and diverse population. Beyond the array of ethnicities, there are also many faiths coexisting here. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and others. They're all collaborating to create one incredibly unique destination, full of colorful streets and nostalgic neighborhoods. Like Little India or the Muslim Quarter, those are two must-see neighborhoods. 
Singapore is also home to arguably the best food scene in the world. The hawkers, the street vendors, they're a staple to the local diet, creating incredible meals for affordable prices. The city is also home to fine dining, attracting some of the world's most impressive gourmands, getting Michelin stars all over the place. There's no wrong way to explore this country. The urban landscape mixes and flows seamlessly into the lush nature of the island. This artful cohabitation is exemplified by the gardens by the bay and its awe-inspiring super trees. It's a monument to modernity and environmentalism. Call it what you want, the Lion City, the Light of the South, the Melting Pot of Asia. This city-state has many names, but it has always been Singapore. It's full of passion. It's completely one of a kind. I think it's really incredible that a small city-state is able to make such a huge impact on, on a global scale. And I think is, Singapore sounds like a really interesting place. Absolutely. And I have had the privilege of being close friends with two people that live there. They moved there. Well, they'll tell you when they moved there. But we're excited to talk to two of my friends from college, Casey and Andrew, who are now residents in Singapore. Get uh, acclimated. We've done like many, many interviews before, but um, have you ever been interviewed? Uh, by a friend? No. Do we want to start with an um, yeah, so let's let's start with a kind of an introduction. So, um, uh, thank you guys so much for for joining us to talk to us. This is one of our first chats about a, a new destination, and what's kind of unique is this is a destination that neither me or my brother have actually been to. Uh, so we're really relying on your expertise. But before we get into the destination, which is Singapore, is it okay if you guys introduce yourselves? Maybe starting with uh, Andrew, we'll go in alphabetical. Sure, absolutely. Hey, thanks so much. And, you know, Jared and Smaller Kata, it's really good to, to hear your voices again, especially during this, this tough time. So uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, went to school with Jared, of course. Um, after, after that, spent some time working in finance with startups. And about three years ago, we're, we're up and coming about two years, 11 months, uh, decided to move to Singapore to you know, half-jokingly follow Casey, but also just to really explore a new area of the world that I had, I'd say, some affinity to. Casey and I actually studied together, I studied abroad together in Beijing in 2011, met people from all across the world, which really, I think, broadened our just view of, you know, essentially just where we could physically have a career, right? Because that, that's something that didn't really come up previously when you're just, you know, born in America, raised in America. It's very America-centric. But as you, you know, travel and meet new people, you start understanding that there's lives to be lived elsewhere. And, and you know, in 2016, 2017, it was, fuck it, why don't we go on an adventure and see what the Singapore thing is all about? Ended up joining Grab, which is a um, startup out here. Um, we acquired Uber in 2017 um, and then started 2018 in the region. We're the largest startup out here. Um, and then about, I'd say six months ago last year, I left my original team to join a smaller business unit that I co-founded and we just closed a $30 million series A about three months ago. So that was really exciting, but then COVID happened and now T Casey and I are kind of trapped at home. This has been <laughs> about five days, genuinely it's been about five days since I've physically seen Casey. And I can honestly say that is the longest time that I've been in Singapore without having seen him physically. 
<laughs> well, before well, you're introducing Casey on his behalf, uh, uh, who, so Casey, let's hear from you now. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. I, I know you said it wasn't a, a job interview, but nice little plug there about your $30 million raise and co-founding yeah, your little business you, over there. Andrew's, <laughs> Andrew's over here like, yeah, 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 I'm, the, I'm, I'm awesome. It's not a job interview, but here's everything I've done. Whole thing. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, all pub any publicity is good publicity. Play to your strengths, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, you know, considering Jared, Andrew and I all went to university together, obviously a similar path. UCSD, um, studied abroad with Andrew in China, and I think that kind of opened me up to living abroad in general. Um, so, you know, my prerogative after graduating was actually to go right back out. Um, I thought that I was going to go to, you know, do a year out in China and explore a bit and, um, and then go to law school and then, you know, become a lawyer and see from there. But life ended up having other plans for me, and um, I just kind of got, got wrapped up in it, lived, lived out in China for a little bit. Um, I was making peanuts. I was making like $12,000 a year. I was dirt poor. It was wow. the best experience of my life. I never want to live again. Um, and <laughs> then I, I uh, came back and I, I started working for, for LinkedIn in, in San Francisco, still with an eye on going back to China, but with actual money in my pocket. And over due course, uh, I got recruited by Oracle, uh, basically because they had seen I had Asia experience and I was working for a good tech company. Um, so they, they recruited me to Singapore. Uh, it wasn't something I had thought about or ever like really wanted to move to in the past. I had visited once. Uh, and yeah, then I moved out here. Uh, career started going well. Um, ended up really loving the city. And, and here I still am three and a half years, almost four years later. That's pretty awesome. You are in a unique club of expatriates. Uh, that that's something that you know. It's not, you'll always be able to to have that experience. It's an experience that not a lot of people have. Can you tell us one thing that you learned about being an expat, or that people don't tell you when you uh, decide to be an expat? I I think being an expat's very it's it's an interesting experience, right? And like you said, it is kind of a club because you're you're a, a subgroup uh, or population. And it's almost like when you go out, if you go to a bar or, or you know, a pub or whatever, it's like you don't even really need, you know, an introduction or to be in the group because you're kind of like, oh, hey, like, you know, I'm from here. You know, you're also not from here. How's it going? And then it's, it's really easy to make friends and, and grow your network. So I, I think it's just been really interesting finding out that this community exists because it's not even really something that you think about just growing up uh, in the United States. The cool thing is you find that you know, I was living in San Francisco and I didn't like a lot of people there. I like, I just didn't mesh with them, to be honest, like the way that they talk, the way that they think, the way that like basically having the most environmentally friendly house and car was the equivalent of like a big dick or a big salary back in, you know, when banking was a bigger thing. Um, and I just didn't gel with it. And you went to where big dicks were big dicks. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. That's the important thing. Um, but it's like, you know, you find a lot of like-minded people that are from all over the globe. And so it's really interesting that these people share a lot of commonalities with you, but they're from, from other places. So a lot of people bring different things to the table. I think it's one of the things I love most about being an expat. That, that's pretty awesome. I, I was I was wondering, is watching the U.S. from Singapore similar to watching the Earth from like the International Space Station? You feel very at peace, or do you feel like very conflicted? That's a good analogy. We, we're kind of in this like 
relatively safe little bubble. Um, you know, Singapore is managing the COVID scenario pretty well. Um, actually not as well as Taiwan, uh, for example, who really contained it. We're, we're seeing increases in cases here. Um, but obviously they're able to pass a bit more draconian measures to stop people from doing things that will spread the virus. Right. And we've just been watching the U.S. from completely ignoring it and thinking that the virus was nothing to just like a shit storm and it's just evolving and being like, wow, okay, we're, we're pretty fortunate over here. Um, although yeah. of course we have friends and family back home. So we're kind of hoping the best for them. We've been, we've been dealing with COVID for, for nearly three months now. Right. And, and we kind of watch it spike and there's, there's a thing that, you know, it's called a hype cycle. You go up and then down, but then you go up again and we're clearly on this upslope. So that, that's kind of in terms of the COVID situation. Casey and I did joke that it was a really opportune time to leave to leave the U.S. at the time, we got to essentially ride out the Trump presidency overseas. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to well, let's talk more about uh, the destination. My brother has a an emotional question for you guys. Sure. You've both lived there for a number of years now, and it sounds like you have every intention to stay. What was the moment where you decided that this place was your home and that you really fell in love with Singapore? Case, you um, want to go first? Yeah, I'm happy to take that. Um, I, I think for me, I, I remember one specific pivotal moment, not, and it wasn't so much like, I now know that I love Singapore. I think that's something that developed over time gradually. But the moment that I knew it was home, it, it was the second time I came back to the US. Um, the first time I came back, uh, I came back, I was visiting friends and family. Um, and then I'm, I'm flying back to Singapore. The second time I visited, I came, I saw friends and family. And as I was getting on the plane to return to Singapore, I said, all right, cool, I'm, I'm going home. And I remember like noticing that moment and the fact that in my mind, I was referring to going back home to a country that was not my original country. And I mm -hmm. think that was kind of that moment where I realized Singapore is, is now actually my home. For, for me, that uh, I'll use two moments, right? Uh, number one is when I realized that I was, per se, no longer fully American. Uh, and then I think separately is when I really started to develop, I think, a true affinity for, for, for Singapore. I still remember within the first uh, three months of me moving to Singapore, I flew back to New York for a wedding. And people would ask me, it's, you know, it's pleasantries between people who are loosely connected with each other. And they'd ask me, oh, where are you from? And... I would say what I've been saying for the last, you know, 20 years of my life, which is like, oh, I'm from California. And then, and then I call myself. It's like, well, am I from California? It's like, I live in Singapore. My parents at the time were in California, but am I really from California still? Like relative to this context of a conversation with people from the wedding? What it really devolved to is people ask me in Singapore where I'm from, I say California. But if anyone outside of Singapore asks me where I'm from, I say Singapore. <laughs> so it, it's a really weird dynamic of, you know, where home really is at this point. And I, I think it's a good segue into the second part of the question is um, for, you know, 27 years of my life, I was born and raised in California. My parents were there. My sister was being educated in the U.S. And then after my sister graduated, you know, as, as any brother would, I, I helped her get a job. And she actually ended up getting a job in the same company as I am. And then I think within like three, four months and some other extenuating family circumstances, my parents are like, well, fuck this. You know, why empty nests in a continent that our kids aren't? So they actually moved back to China. So I went from being, you know, an American citizen holder, living in America, school, educated America, working in America, 
family in America to everyone now is on the other side of the Pacific. And it then even further begs the question of what home really is for me. And, and this might be a little bit different from Casey, but growing up as a you know, first generation immigrant in, in the US, you never really fully blend in. And I was born in New York where I was the only Asian person in my whole school. Once I moved to California, I was the only Chinese person in my middle school. And then I went to high school, which was Catholic, so predominantly white again, and then switching to UCSD, which is 55% Asian. Never really truly got to grips of what I guess my identity was. It was really just an Asian American who grew up in a white area, was kind of the, the square peg in the round hole in California. But I got to Singapore and for the first time felt like people didn't, I, I just blended in, right? Obviously, once I opened my mouth, everyone thought I was a loud asshole. But just in terms of just like walking around, no one was really questioning. There's Chinese food everywhere. People speak literally the two main languages that are English and Chinese. And, and then really kind of started settling in from an identity perspective. And that's something that never really, uh, I never really had before. But it is good to know that theoretically, there's some place in the world where I feel pretty comfortable from a cultural identity perspective. That, that, that's really important. And, and that's, that's very well said. And, and I think that one of the things that I found when I was doing a little bit of research into Singapore is that it is, it's an incredibly diverse place. And yes. it has, does it have these like kind of segmented neighborhoods representing different groups of people that had at one point or another immigrated to the city? Uh, yeah. what, what is like, what would you say is like the best neighborhood and, and, or some of the best neighborhoods? So, so why don't we take a step back and look at just really quickly what the history of Singapore is, right? So Singapore was founded in 1960. And if you look at the region, there were th uh, two particularly large, I think, cultural dynamics in play. And that was between the Malays and not Malaysians. So Malay is essentially the uh, ethnically darker skinned Asian, if to use a, a, a maybe a not politically correct term. And then um, the other side were essentially the Chinese, right? There is a large Chinese population in every one of the countries. And for better or for worse, there is, I think, the segments between the Chinese, the Malays, and also the Indians of the region are quite, while diverse, are still quite segmented. Uh, Chinatown and Little India exist separately, and they make no attempt to try to blur the lines between, between I think, these cultures. Yeah. Jared, I don't want to drift too much from your, your question. I'm sure you've got like a list that you want to take us through. So if I were to like bring it back to your original question about like what are the nice neighborhoods and, and what are the like, <laughs> it's like started drifting into like social issues and yeah. inequality. Basically, you've got your like Marina Bay and CBDs where you have Marina Bay Sands and that's where you have all the office buildings. Um, that's basically where Andrew and I both work. You know, you've got like your high-end shops, your good restaurants. Marina Bay is really pretty to walk around. Marina Bay Sands is obviously the iconic building that has mm -hmm. the like big boat on the top. Um, so that's kind of one. Uh, then, as Andrew mentioned, there's Chinatown. Chinatown, like you'd find anywhere else in the world, is it's always Chinatown is always Chinatown. Little India uh, is is Little India. Indian food. A lot of Indians actually are there. And then like Arab Street is the Muslim corner with the mosque. I would feel I would say that India, Little India, is the most like concentrated of actual like. Indians are in that neighborhood, whereas I feel Chinatown and uh, Arab Street are kind of integrated more into like broader Singapore and you get a much more mixed population in there. It okay. doesn't feel as concentrated. And those are kind of like your touristy neighborhoods. Sentosa is like a little island, tiny island that you can take a bridge south of Singapore, but it's like where the couple man-made beaches are, some beach clubs. 
yacht clubs, a lot of like bougie people that live on boats or houses, they live down there. Um, and then outside of those kind of key areas where like you'd go as a tourist, the majority of the Singapore population lives out in like West, middle, like North or far East Singapore um, in government housing. Uh, and then, but there are some places, I think like Tangland area, uh, which is where there are some like really expensive multi-million dollar, like multi-multi-million dollar homes uh, where, where richer families live. You know, I, I think as an expat, we often, because we spend most of our time around work, we get caught up in the fact that um, most of our life is in this central CBD area, but so much life exists outside of that, that as a tourist, right, who, who is spending here, I, I would recommend venturing outside. There's a lot more nature in the outer areas as well, mm -hmm. where you can see everything from saltwater crocodiles. Uh, there are literally two warring otter gangs that you can, <laughs> that you can check out. Um, and, and, and it's a lot there. I've, I've had the, I've been lucky enough to travel to a lot of the places outside where I'd say the typical areas to play basketball, because that's where a lot of the schools are. I've been to the Naval base, um, where the U S has, I'd say part of their uh, Navy there to play basketball there. And so I, I do want to highlight that for, for a visitor, it's not just the central area, but a lot of the super famous local foods, the ones that, you know, are getting Michelin stars from the Hawker Center actually exists outside. So I do encourage folks to, to not only spend their time in CBD, Marine Base, and Santosa, but to check out some of my roads less traveled, paths less traveled, like up north, south, northwest, and east. You, you know, you mentioned the, the Hawkers, and uh, when I was doing my own research, that came up as one of the best attractions, uh, I'll say, yeah. plates in Singapore. But they're super famous there. But what would you say are the top three Hawker foods? Oh man. So this is a, this is a great question. And I will say about versus what I think me and Casey like versus what Singapore is known for. Okay. Um, what's interesting is I'd say hawkers are an institution here, but like uh -huh. any institution, they have started to evolve while it is still prim primarily owned by, I'd say the first generation that moved here, younger, more entrepreneurial hawkers are starting to pop up who are not just doing, um, what I am labeling as Southern Chinese food. Uh, but are doing like Western food as well, right? There are craft beer hawkers, uh, burger hawkers, um, a lot of hawkers, Thai hawkers, uh, you know, European hawkers that, that are really, really cool. Um, quickly, my, my quickly person, Andrew, do you, do you want to maybe give a definition of what a hawker is? Yeah. We say, yeah. Throwing the word, but people might not actually know what we're talking sure. about. That's a really sure. good so, point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So a hawker is essentially a food stall. The closest thing I can think of in other countries would be a food truck or, or even a food cart. However, it is, it is a stall. And these hawkers typically reside in a very large center where there are multiple hawkers in one location, right? And these hawkers is really where a large part of everyday Singapore life happens. Very high quality food for very affordable there. For two USD, you can essentially get a bowl of noodles or, or a plate of food, and it's fantastic value, right? And you have the rich, the poor, Singaporeans, expats, everyone, you know, they all visit hawkers very frequently. Uh, back to what I was getting at then. So you have the new age hawkers, but in terms of the hawker foods that are most famous, that Singapore is known, most known for, I think the first dish would probably be Hainan chicken. Anthony Bourdain visited a stall in CBD at, at the uh, Amoy Street Market called Tian Tian Chicken. Cues there, sorry to use local parlance, are you know can be can range from forty to sixty minutes long at, at any given time, and it is even though it's a dish that originated in Hainan, China, 
Singapore has really adopted it as uh, it's kind of its famous dish, right? Uh, another hawker that um, got a Michelin star in Singapore is called um, Chan's, Chan's Soy Sauce Chicken. And it's kind of the soy sauce chicken that you see in Hong Kong. And, and I believe the owner is originally from Hong Kong, and but he brought it over to Singapore. And, and that's really his Michelin star. I think other very famous foods were, originate, I think, closer to Malaysia rather than China. So it's things like fried uh, uh, char kway tao, which is uh, fried rice noodles, laksa, which is rice noodles in a coconut curry spicy broth. Prata is, is really an institution as well, which is kind of a fried Indian bread that people typically eat for breakfast with really, really strong coffee and a little bit of curry dip. But, but you know, there's hawkers really from the entire region in the area. And, you know, you can spend, there's not enough meals in a day or even a week to be able to tackle, you know, all of the things that are available to you. That's awesome. Well, okay. So before we move on though, what, what is your number one favorite thing? That's, that's easy. And I think I can speak for Casey on this one because we go quite frequently. Our favorite hawker in Singapore is one in Chinatown that makes Xiaolongbao, XLB, which is not your typical hawker food. And we would put up the hawker, the, this XLB, the, the, the steam, uh, the soup buns, um, with any Ding Tai Fung in the world. And it's, it's outrageous to me because it is typically known as a very labor-intensive thing to make. Um, are you guys familiar with XLB? No. Those tiny soup dumplings? Yeah, so they make, they make soup dumplings. Um, and soup dumplings are usually reserved for slightly higher-end restaurants like Ding Tai Fung and, and, and fancier places because they're so labor-intensive to make, right? Each, every single one needs to have like um, 18 pleats in order to be known as essentially high-end, right? you're making them in, in, in more expensive restaurants and they're nicely plated. But at this hawker, there is, you know, two guys working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, just turning these things out like mad. And for wow. a um, basket of six, it is four USD. Wow. Four USD. So, you know, we'll go and each get 20 or 30 and just, just have ourselves a ball. <laughs> but it's amazing the amount of time, dedication, and love that a lot of these hawker centers are, all, are, are putting into this, despite, you know, what might be viewed as a very humble eating establishment. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and food, I think, is one of the cornerstones of any travel experience. I mean, there are people that traveled specifically for, I mean, Singapore sounds like one of yeah. the destinations that you go just to eat, similar to like New York, but everything's cheaper. <laughs> not don't say everything alcohol is prohibitively expensive here but that's really? a great that's a that's a really yeah. fortunate lead-in for us i asked about the food brendan wants to ask a little bit about the nightlife and the drinking scene yeah yeah oh, so man. You, you gave a great description of the the popular neighborhoods for eating for tourists uh, for sightseeing what's the best place to go for for nightlife and uh, kind of tied in with that what's your favorite bar to go to in singapore Case, I'll let you so, take this one first. <laughs> so, I mean, the, Singapore's small, right? So, effectively, the same places that we mentioned for food, the same places that we uh, mentioned for tourism, pretty much coincide with where you're going to want to go for nightlife and drinks, right? Um, if, if you kind of look at, like, the neighborhood and what exists in, in any of them, uh, we left out one neighborhood, actually, earlier for, for food. That's called Tanjung Pagar. Uh, that's where there's a lot of Korean restaurants. That's where there's a lot of uh, Korean and Japanese, effectively. So Tanjung Pagar has a lot of like good little bars. So there's some kind of up, up, upscale bars like Tipling Club, where you can get more like nicer cocktails and that kind of thing. Um, and then it also had like an establishment called Kilo, 
which a lot of uh, a lot of Europeans really like. It's like deep house kind of stuff, so people really like to go there. Uh, not really our scene. We're like kind of more into into hip hop. So I would say like it, it's weird. A lot of the nightlife seems to have receded in in recent times, or there's less places that we're interested in at the very least. Um, Singapore's got like a mega club, uh, Marquee. I think it's the the same one, same owners as Vegas. Yeah, uh, a lot of yeah. people like to go there, but it's it's very like heavy like EDM type music. Um, and so that is very popular right now. There's a place called Avenue, uh, which is also near Marina Bay Sands, which is a bit more like lounge kind of. We tend to like to go to this Tanjung Pagar Street and like drink at Korean bars because it's a lot of fun just to drink a lot, like a bunch of soju and have snacks. A personal favorite of mine, uh, which not all of the people in our like friend group here share, uh, is called Skinny's um, okay. in Boki. So our, let me actually quickly break down like the main drinking areas, which would be. Tanjung Pagar, like I said, has kind of um, this like Korean bars and stuff like that. There's Clark Key, which is effectively your tourist bar area. There's one big club called Zook that uh, is really like famous in Singapore. It was once the number one club in the world, I think. Um, yeah. at its, and then it moved into Clark Key. So younger people and tourists like to go there. Uh, then there's Boat Key, and Boat Key is more of like your, your pubs. Um, it's kind of like uh, where you'd go for more British pubs and, and bars and, and less like clubs or, or upper scale. Um, so this, this place called Skinny's Lounge is a little, it's, it's effectively an American dive bar in the middle of Singapore, which is probably why I like it so much. Uh, you can go in there, you can buy like PBR, you can get pickleback shots, you can get like down and dirty, just American style drinking. You walk in, there's like just Sharpie and stickers and graffiti all over the walls. There's like a door and the handle is like a giant black dildo. Um, it's it's like just a, it's American a pretty funny establishment. And in the back of it is is like a communal karaoke room, which anybody at the bar can go into. And so yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. And the Bugis area where uh, that Arab Street we mentioned earlier, it has a lot of like live music and jazz and stuff like that, where people are playing or busking on the streets, and you can sit out and have a beer out there. That's kind yeah, of the main good. drinking areas. That, that sounds really and nice. So, so those are, I, I think Casey did a good job of covering all the bars that we go to, but I think it's interesting to take a look at the other nightlife options that we may, that we don't go to in Singapore, which is, okay. which gets, I think a little bit of culture shock starts uh, descending once you've spent here, spent some time here and, and if you're not from here, right? It's so, so Casey, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Casey mentioned that a lot of the places we used to go to, which are independent clubs, right, uh, that either put hip-hop or something, they've all been receding a bit. And it's really hard to essentially be an independent club in Singapore. And a lot of them have effectively moved into the Marina Bay Sands, which is trying to kind of fashion itself as like a little mini Vegas, right? But one of the reasons why nightclubs, from my understanding, have a hard time operating here is a lot of the locals do not typically go to places like this. And they spend a lot of time in places that would be very unfamiliar to, I'd say, unfamiliar to American culture, right? And these are things that are called Thai discos, mm. uh, KTV, and even as aggressive into going to um, where there is a gray area in Singapore where prostitution is semi-legal. I'd say after you spend some time here, you've, you've ultimately, you know, at least spent some time in those establishments, not to partake, but, mm. but to actually visit it and just spend some time because they're really, really interesting. Yeah. Thai discos are really foreign to me. Case, you want to explain what a Thai disco is? 
Yeah, Thai discos are interesting. I, I, I think, um, you know, in, in the U.S., your closest equivalent would probably be a strip club in a way. But there's no stripping. <laughs> but also not. So uh, at a strip club, you're, you're going in, you're sitting down, you're giving money to a girl to, like, basically be naked and, like, dance on you or, or at least be naked dancing in front of you. It, Thai disco is in a way more and less demeaning uh towards women i think uh it's hard. and and you know so i I've, I've i've gone in with a colleague um so i've seen it in action but what you what effectively what they're doing is you go in and there's live performances they have a bunch of girls that come in from not just thailand from thailand vietnam china whatever and effectively what they're there to do is there's like two types of girls that work there there's one type of girl that will actually go up on stage um, with a group of girls, they'll do like K-pop dances and that kind of thing. Uh, or they'll go up and sing songs in their, their like local languages. And then there's another type of girl, if they're less talented, that they effectively just kind of roam, roam around and like if, if they'll try and like come and drink with you. Um, what will happen at frequent intermissions, call, call it every hour or so, is all of the girls, you know, dancers or the ones that are like just roaming around, will actually have to go and line up on the stage. So they line up um, and they'll usually do it by race. So they'll have the Koreans go up and then they'll have the Vietnamese go up and then they'll have the Thai go up. And they stand up there and they just, they have like a countdown for like five minutes. And what happens in that time is that the people on the floor can bid on these women, not to come strip, not to go home with them, but just to come keep them company at the table pour their drinks, laugh at their shitty jokes. But what happens is, you know, there will be these kind of like auntie ladies that are on the floor and they'll be like, you know, if, so, if, if uh, somebody is trying to uh, reserve a girl, they'll tap the auntie on the shoulder and they'll say, okay, you like that one right there. The auntie then takes a laser pointer, points it at the girl, is literally like laser pointing on the girl. And then somebody on the stage, another like worker person will take a sash um, let's see, they have flowers. So if you give them flowers, it's like 50 bucks. If you can put a sash that says 100, it'll be $100. Um, and you have until the end of that countdown, you can outbid people if you want. So like some of these girls, you'll see just get $500 spent on them. Um, and then they have to go and, and be at that table with whoever spent money on them for the next, you know, dance or song or whatever. So probably like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, Dude, it's not just 500, right? It quickly that? gets like, it's not just 500. It gets I've to 5,000 really and, quickly. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. So that's, that's what a Thai disco is. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, though. I mean, that, that seems like a must-hit thing when you're, when you're there, to at least just witness it. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it's, it's not something I would have... Well, now that I like laid it out, I'd probably go. But when I came, I heard about Thai discos, and I was like, what? You're just paying money to put flowers on a girl and like like why do i want to do that um yeah. and i went and it, it is just fascinating it's it's really an interesting experience pretty amazing i love that all right i'm i'm curious moving into like something about like culture or like sites around the city what would you say first is the most underappreciated site in singapore and what is the most overrated place to go as a tourist i'd say the most overrated place in my opinion is the Marina Bay Sands. It is, and that might just be for me. If you're a hardcore gambler, or if you want to buy Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Gucci, everything, then then this is the, the spot for you, right? But there are 
so many more interesting places to uh drink and eat and socialize now, now don't get me wrong the food there is fantastic right bunch of places at michelin stars uh there's a there's a cut there but i feel like if you're coming to singapore why go to places that you could theoretically see anywhere else um in terms of the most underrated spot i think is probably the nature in singapore which people typically don't think of when they when, when they come here Casey took me to a spot up north called Sungai Bulo, which which you cross the water and you're essentially in Malaysia. But you know, just the hikes and the trails there, you see a lot of people fishing there at all times. Uh, but just being able to see like saltwater crocodiles and a lot of, a lot of wildlife is really interesting, right? Because because this is a very tropical area, so you will come across once in a blue moon uh, monkeys, wild boars, uh, snakes, things of that sort. And, and I think there's a lot more to offer in Singapore than than just I'd say the city life. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd probably echo that. I, I think I think Marina Bay Sands is pretty cool. I, I don't even know if I'd, you might stay there one night to go see the infinity pool. It's a pretty breathtaking view. It, it's a cool thing, but I don't know if I'd really want to stay in that hotel otherwise. I do love a bar called Spago at the top of Marina Bay Sands. Prohibitively mm-hmm. expensive cocktails, but they're really good. Um, and they're, they're nice about like comping people that sit there and kind of chat with the staff. So you get like comp some random food and the, the sunset's really beautiful. Um, but yeah, the nature, the nature is really nice. There, there's a lot of yeah. cool stuff to do outside. Yeah. We were going to ask you after the quarantine is over, uh, are, how are you going to get back into uh, the outdoors? But, it, but you guys answered that already. So Brendan has just uh, one more question to, to kind of close things out and uh, answer it however you feel is most appropriate and or your most comfortable ass answering it. <laughs> Who's the audience of this again? Is this, is this a it's probably, honestly, it's probably just going to be our friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the, the starting basis for this podcast was stories that you tell at parties about traveling. You know, the ones that Or people, destinations. Or destinations, yeah. The ones that, um, like, the people who, who go to parties with you a lot have heard dozens of times. What is your best story in Singapore about Singapore <laughs> that kind of sums oh, up your time? Oh, man. Oh, that's a great question. That's a tough one. I don't even know where to begin. Um, it's, a, it's a fine, it's like a balance between like things that are appropriate to put out onto no, the No, no, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There are, there are there's just a lot of good stories. We've had quite a number of raucous nights since we've moved here for three years. I can think of, of uh, one that's kind of pretty funny, um, Andrew. When 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 I think when I first moved out here, right before our Thailand trip, you came to visit, and uh, we went out with Ben on like a Tuesday. Oh Christmas. man! Yeah. And it all started with us going to this um, this bar in in Clark Key, that tourist area, kind of called I think it's called the Pump Room. Uh, which just, you know, sounds weird to start, you know, pump, either you're thinking of like big German guys pumping iron or something else going on, but you know, <laughs> pump room is what it is. So we go in there and it is dead. I mean, Singapore is dead. People are shuttered in for the holidays. There's nothing going on. We go into this, this pump room bar. We didn't really realize at the time, but like effectively in a lot of these these kind of uh, tourist bars, a lot of prostitutes will kind of congregate. 
But it's not like it's not like in the U.S. where prostitutes are like on the street, like, "Hey, Mister, like, you know, you know, can I get in your car with you?" They just kind of hang out. And old British, you know, old dirty British men know that they're prostitutes. Two Americans that just came to Asia for the first time have no idea. Um, Why are these girls so friendly to us? They're clearly so, into us. <laughs> so funny thing, I, I think it was what it was basically it was a, it was an off night for these girls and we were at the bar buying some drinks. Andrew, I think had gotten some like Jaeger bombs or tequila shots, handed them out to the girls that were next to us. And uh, they're like some Vietnamese girls, just like humongous fake tits. And you know, for, that still didn't click on our head. We like still didn't realize. We're just like, these are whatever girls that are hanging out. Um, and I think it was an off night and they just wanted to have some fun. And they had like a bottle of Grey Goose. And I remember they just started like pouring drinks for us and partying with us. Uh, it was like pretty egregious for like a Tuesday night bar. And we were like hanging out. And at one point they, they actually brought us, they were like, we're going to leave here. We're going to go to this other place. Uh, another place, which is like a seedy underbelly of Singapore is called Orchard Towers. Um, and you know, the way they explained it is like, it's a really fun place. It's like got great live music and we're like, okay, yeah, cool. So we, well, actually Ben knew what was going on all along, but Andrew and I didn't. So Ben's our buddy who grew up in Singapore, but he was pretty much just laughing at us. Uh, we go to this place. Now, the other name, as the locals call Orchard Towers, is Four Floors of Horrors, um, which can give you an idea of what's going on there. Um, in my head, if I heard that name, I would have thought of some like Persian lascivious, like, you know, brothel, <laughs> rapes being, you know, like that kind of thing. No, 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 it's, it's a mall. And in that mall, there is a combination of live music bars that are exclusively filled with, with prostitutes and really good Thai food. <laughs> and so we get taken there and we get just taken into one of these, these bars. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, I don't know. We're just like really drunk partying there. Um, I think we lost those those girls at one point. We ended up in another one, um, which I think might have been a ladyboy bar. Um, yeah, we were in the ladyboy bar, Crazy Horse, yeah. We were in a ladyboy bar, just literally no idea, uh, getting really drunk. Another guy comes around, and we're sitting there. This guy actually gave us a bottle of, of uh, like a full bottle of Black Label. He's like, hey, I just bought this. I'm not going to drink it. You guys can have it. Me and Andrew are like, oh, sick. That's awesome. Our buddy was like, grabbed it and was like, no, 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 no. You, you do not accept alcohol bottles from strangers in a whorehouse in Singapore. <laughs> Took it away from us. We were like, what? What's going on? And um, so then we effectively left at about, I don't know, must have been 5 a.m. at 4 or 5 a.m. at that point. Go to a hawker center. We get roti prada, which is the first time I've ever had it. I think Andrew had, had it before. I didn't even eat any because I passed out on the bench. Um, and, and I think that was pretty much the end of our night. And the punchline to that, uh, that story, by the way, is that now anytime anyone visits us from the U.S., we try to recreate that night for them. <laughs> because, that is true. Because there is no point in taking someone to Marquis it is really interesting seeing how they respond in Orchard Towers. And most recently, I took our, our buddy TJ from UCSD and his entire friend group of 10 people to Orchard Towers. And it was just hilarious to watch unfold just how uncomfortable they are when like small, fat, 
you know, hookers past their prime are like coming up to like poke them a little bit. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. That is a beautiful thing and a beautiful way to close out this interview and, and, and a great selling point, I should say. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, after, after we're done with quarantine and we're extremely famous from this podcast, Brendan and I hope to use our riches to travel uh, to all the destinations that we talk to people from. So I'm hoping that you'll take us to, uh, to this lo- these locations. What is it? Orchard, Orchard Tower? <laughs> Orchard, Orchard Towers. Towers, yeah. Orchard Towers. Yeah. I, want, I want to go. Definitely take me. And I think for, for tourists listening, the single most important piece of advice is don't accept free bottles of alcohol in a whorehouse in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good universal advice. Don't accept free alcohol. That's not Singapore specific. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I, I really, really appreciate you taking time. It's 12-hour difference, uh, so it was, uh, it was no easy task to, to get scheduled for each other, but we're, we're happy to, to hang out with you today, and I really miss you guys and, and do really dearly hope to see you soon. So thank you all very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Likewise. Cool. Thanks, good, y'all. Thanks again, Casey and Andrew. It was awesome talking to you guys. I appreciate you uh, working with our schedule, even though that we're 12 hours uh, apart, but ton of fun. And I can't believe that I hadn't spoken to them sooner. Honestly, it was like they've been there for three years. Um, and I just really hope that we get to visit as soon as this is all over. Definitely. Brendan, what would you be looking forward to most if we visited Singapore? I'm sure this is what everyone says, but I think the concept of the all the hawkers everywhere sounds really cool, and the food culture sounds incredible. Absolutely. I, I would really like to be able to explore the nature that they're talking about on the island. I don't see that nearly as much when it comes to travel guides in Singapore. We'll get out there pretty soon. Just want to say thank you one more time to Casey and Andrew. That's it for us and this episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're on Apple Podcasts or the follow button if you're listening on Spotify. That way you can be notified when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cotta Bros underscore Travel Club. We're always looking for new content and everyone has a story worth telling. If you want to share something, email us at Club at gmail.com. No underscore on the email address. Finally, we know these are difficult times, but you're not alone. This podcast was our outlet, and so is the support of our friends and family that are helping us to make it. However, if you're feeling lost or depressed and don't have anyone to talk to, email us or DM us on social. Even if it's not about travel, we're still here to chat. If we all work together, we'll be back to adventuring soon. See you next time.